Hey, everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to PHLY Flyers presented by Mortgage CS. Check out MortgageCS.com slash PHLY to start your home buying process today. Company NMLS ID number 1464766. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Joining me today, Philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter, Charlie O'Connor. And yes, the rumors are true. Uh, by rumors, I mean what I tweeted and yeah, then what we actually reported what the it. title card said on the show. Uh, Keith Jones will be coming up. We have an interview with him uh, that will be airing live on this show in just a little bit. But first, Charlie. Let's get into some of the stuff that happened over the weekend. It's actually, it's nice to have it in studio again. Uh, these weekend post games, it's just like, we just keep running and running it's, and piling up things to talk about. It, it, and now we're finally here. It's a grind. Yeah. I, I really do not like, personally, as someone who covers the team, I do not like the play on Saturday, play on Sunday. Oh. It is miserable. I want my weekend. I let want me my least, Sunday. Let me at least have one day of a weekend where I'm not working. It's, be it's great. like... It's an oft-ignored rule in the Matt's house that Bill wants to do nothing on Sundays. <laughs> but since, like, the Flyers don't leave me alone, obviously my family won't. Uh, but, no, it's it's at least next weekend. Yes, we have another Saturday, but at least Sunday off next yes. week. But, but yeah, before, let's talk about, before we get into it, yeah. I just want to clarify. So we interviewed Keith Jones earlier today at the Flyers practice facility. We are going to talk a little bit about the team, about the weekend, and kind of put a bow on it. And then probably after about, you know, 10, 15 minutes, we'll get into the Keith Jones interview. We will show it in its entirety, show it live here. And then me and Bill will break down the interview to close out the show and talk about kind of our thoughts about what Keith had to say. But first, we do want to talk about the two losses this weekend because the Flyers were really riding high going into this weekend. They kicked the absolute crap out of a really good Dallas Stars team. People were feeling really good. And I guess where I'm at right now is I want to know where your where your vibes are, given the fact that this team was riding high. They run a five-game winning streak, and then they kind of crashed back to earth a little bit by losing two straight in regulation. Yeah, it was uh, it was disappointing to see where this weekend went, especially like you look at the results across the division. You look at you know the the Rangers go into LA, lose. Flyers could have been tied for or in first place at the end of this weekend, at least by raw points total. Right. And they fail to even pick up any points on the weekend, couple of home games. I would be disappointed if like the circumstances of the weekend didn't just kind of make sense to me like Saturday. And we'll get into this when we talk about the Jonesy interview and yeah, like Nathan McKinnon went nuts and everything, but Flyers were right there with them. Flyers were the better team on the ice outside of a couple of highlight plays by awesome players by Colorado. And that's why you want those highlight level players so that, you know, oh, we don't have it. Well, guess what? McKinnon went nuts. So we won anyway. Yeah. Like, so that's, that's good. But like they went toe to toe with one of the most talented teams in the West and easily could have won that game, got it within a goal, gave up a backbreaker. And then Sunday it was just like, Whatever it was, they were tired. For whatever reason, they did not have it. And that's going to happen from time to time. But you look at what they did be leading up to that. And I said this on the post game, like, especially after Colorado. Okay, yeah, they just gave up seven to the Avs. I watched them take apart the Stars. I watched them take apart the Jets. I watched them win five games in a row. Uh, they have the record they have. I, I can't be, I can't be too upset about this considering every step of the way, whenever I've been like, okay, well now it's about how they respond. They have responded well. Now, maybe this is the beginning of the 10 game losing streak that we've <laughs> been waiting on, you know, like that's always around the corner. It is the flyers. I don't think that's the case though. I would agree. I think, and I've made this point a couple times. I even made it when they went through their downturn in December that I felt like the flyers over the first two and a half months of the season they've built up enough credibility to not just dismiss them after they play one or two bad games. I think they've built up enough cachet where you can say, okay, yeah, they struggled on su on Sunday. Sunday was a bad game. I refer to it when I interviewed John Tortorella after the game, I refer to it as a clunker and he said, absolutely. It was a clunker. I don't think it's enough for me to dismiss the rest of the season, the larger sample of this team playing really well. However, it's just it just feels like a missed opportunity. Like they kicked the crap out of Dallas. 
they're they're flying high going into Colorado. They could have won that game. They didn't, but they could have. They outshot them dramatically. They played really well. They kind of just got Nathan McKinnon. That happens. Doesn't make it any less frustrating when you know that you probably were the better team in that game. They had the better player, and they won because of that. It was the Sunday game that's the rough one because Ottawa stinks. We all know they stink. They fired their coach. They're not good. They're not making the playoffs. They're not even going to come close to making the playoffs. And not only did the Flyers lose, because look, good teams lose to bad teams all the time. It was just the fact that they lost by getting thoroughly outplayed. Even though they led most of that game, they didn't play well. That was not a good performance by the Flyers. And it just brings back bad memories of the Flyers of old falling apart and losing these kind of games. And I get why people were concerned, especially in the immediate aftermath of Sunday's game. And that was like part of the reason you can, I don't want to say moral victory, but part of the reason you can look at Saturday's loss and like kind of just accept it is you go, all right, well, they're going to kick the shit out of Ottawa tomorrow. Right. So we get the two points. That's cool. And we go from there. Well, that was not the case. They don't get those two points. And, I said this like we were looking a little bit ahead about what's going to happen between now and the trade deadline on post game yesterday uh, when I was with Kelly and JP. And I think they have 16 or 17 games now until then. And a bunch of them are really tough matchups. It's like, well, they see the Sens again. No, the Sens aren't good. They've handed the Flyers like maybe two of their worst losses this season. You're not wrong. Is it just like and this isn't a huge deal, uh, but. Is it G? Is it just like everyone's there for him because everyone loves Giroux? Is it just a matchup thing? Like, why can't they beat this shit team when I see them beat awesome teams every night? <laughs> you know, it's a really, really interesting interesting question. And it's a question that I asked John Tortorella last night. And John Tortorella wasn't um, particularly forthcoming on a lot of the answers. But he was, I think, intrigued by the auto question because it's totally fair. That second game of the year, they haven't had a lot of bad games. Maybe they've had maybe... Five, six, seven at most. Where you can be like, that's yeah, like that's that, a bad game. That that's the old Flyers. They just didn't have it. Two of those games have been against an Ottawa team that that's no good. Is not very good. <laughs> I wondered if maybe there's something to do with the way they play. You know, they're a particularly tight checking team. They're a heavy checking team. They in the middle of the ice, something like that. And I asked Twitter all that, and he basically said, "Look, I think Ottawa is a team that." <laughs> You, this was his quote. It was, it's a team I think you can get to in their mm-hmm. end if you get there enough. We just weren't there enough. We weren't in the offensive zone enough. I think he looks at Ottawa as a team that is defensively suspect. And if you put pressure on them, they will break. And his issue was that in both of those games, the Flyers just did not put enough pressure on them. And therefore, they did not break and they just controlled the game. Now, is it a stylistic thing? Maybe, you know, sometimes teams are just bad against a certain team. Like, I, I think back to the uh, the playoff run the Flyers had way back in 2010. Like, the Devils were a real good team that year. They just could not beat the Flyers. The Flyers had their number and that carried over into the playoff series. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes better teams have bad matchups against worse teams. I don't know if it's going to matter because they're not going to face Ottawa in the playoffs anyway, so no. who cares? It is a little odd that two of their rare clunkers have come against a abjectly poor team. And like, maybe there is, like, the extra motivation of G. Maybe there is just, like, they do one thing well that kills whatever the yeah. Flyers do. I don't know. I just found it interesting, and it's, I'm glad you did, too. Uh, you know what else is interesting? No, that's not great. Um <laughs> bagels and company baby uh they have absolutely delicious bagels the best brooklyn style bagels made right here with fully love with philly love uh, a large variety that's right usually have 15 to 20 different types of bagels to choose from daily seasonal specials sports specials anything you could possibly ask for you all remember the christmas bagel i took a huge bite out of during our Reg- reading terminal show uh all sorts of things like that uh so you can always find something maybe for a special occasion at Bagels & Co. But when you have that many to choose from, that large a selection of bagels, you need that much cream cheese to go with it because everyone, you know, everyone likes a little bit something different. Well, they have over 30 different varieties of cream cheeses and schmears to choose from on a daily basis. And they also have the sports theme. They've done a, you know, a red October one in the fall. They have an Eagles one. We need to get some orange cream cheese going uh, for the Flyers. Maybe... Maybe for this playoff run we're doing. Uh, I'm just saying. They're uh, going to play around. I'll, I'll, I'll let, you, let you have it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a ton of big bagels, 
Lots of different ones to choose from. The variety of cream cheese. That's all well and good. What's the most important thing? It's an affordable brand. You get a lot of food for cheap. Everyone can use a little bit of that. So make sure you check out Bagels & Co. for your next event. Go to thebagelsandco.com slash store dash locator to find the closest Bagels & Company near you. Uh, just a couple of things I want to get to before we throw to the interview, Charlie. Um, pretty good news on Owen Tippett, I guess, yes. for now. Yes. Uh, I am choosing to believe that he's day-to-day. Um, people saw him. The leg was not missing, yeah. so that's a good sign. Yeah, there there was vid- video and <laughs> yeah. visual evidence that Owen Tippett is not dead. He is There's, not on Ellis is it a, Island. Is it a shot of him in a, in a walking boot, but oh, it's only no. his upper body? Oh, no. That, 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 that's an old-school reference. Not everyone will get that uh, one. Yeah. We'll, we'll let that one go. But, no, I was not there. I was actually uh, our, our good friend Dylan, friend yes. of the pod. He, uh, he was doing a tailgate before the game, so I stopped by and said hi. Um, he cooked elk, which was surprisingly good. Never had elk before. Pretty good. But uh, but anyway, I was... If at- he made anything, yeah, I'd eat Exactly. It. I was out there while, I guess, Jordan Hall and a couple of the other writers showed up to the game They early. got footage of him they skating. They got footage yeah. of him skating at 11 a.m., two hours before puck drop, uh, with the, the lights dimmed at the Wells Fargo Center. Look, he might be out this week because you've got the, the bye week coming into the All-Star break. Maybe they say, hey, why why not push it? Why not push it when he can when he can use a full week to recuperate? But the fact that he was given a day to day designation, the fact that um, that he skated that quickly after the injury. I mean, I had heard from a couple hours after Saturday's game that they were optimistic it wasn't serious. So everything lines up that this is not that serious of an injury. That said, they may look at it as there's no need to rush him seeing that you have a week off in three games. So we'll see how it plays out. I'd love to see Owen Tippett in the lineup on Tuesday because the Flyers certainly could use him. He's been thriving recently, but I don't think it's the end of the world if they decide to play it safe with a guy who they think is going to be a key part of their future. It would make sense. Like, if he's just good to go, cool, let him play. But if you have a question, it's a few games. Yeah. You know, if we can't get by without Owen Tippett, we're not making the playoffs anyway. Exactly. That's all there is to it. So I guess now do we want to uh, do you want to go into the uh, the Keith Jones interview? Yeah. Yeah. I think it is time we can uh, we can throw it to the Jones interview. It's about 23, 25 minutes long. So hang out for that. And then we'll be back on the other side of this to talk about it uh, with all of you. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. You're listening to a special presentation of PHLY Flyers. My name's Bill Matz. I'm your director of Fun and Games. Joining me, as always, Philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter, Charlie O'Connor. And today we are joined by the Flyers president of hockey operations. It's Jonesy, the one and only Keith Jones. Jonesy, this is, I can't look at you. Like, this is what you do to me. When we used to just be doing the morning show. I'd be like trying to, you know, get my career going. He's just staring at me across the table, just trying to get me to lay up. Yeah, she, clearly, clearly, it's it's exactly the same, pretty much. You've come a long way too, Jonesy. What has this adju- adjustment been like? What's your day to day? How is it different? It's it's, it's different, obviously. Um, it's felt natural, though. I, I, it's strange to say, but um, you know, if I think back to where I was a year ago at this time, you know, kind of doing the same sort of things that you guys are doing. Um, but it, it has been a, a natural progression. I'm really happy um, doing what I'm doing and really pleased with the way that um, our team is starting to come together and how hard that they've competed for us. But um, yeah, it's a, they've made it a little bit easier, the transition, just with how well that they've performed. They've made it easy on everybody. Uh, if you're covering the team, the losses go a lot slower than wins. This season's flying by a little bit, but you were kind of in this position a year ago, being in the media more. You have a lot of industry friends. How has that changed, kind of? Like, do you have to deal with people different? Do they look at you differently? Like, okay, what are you trying to sell me now? Like, yeah, not, is re- it not really. No, you still have, you know, those relationships are important no matter what you're doing, whether you're in the media or, you know, on the other side of it. Um, media connections are great, but also the connections that I was able to kind of establish by being in a position to meet people on other teams, et cetera, you know, from presidents to general managers to head coaches to assistant coaches to the players. Um, I think all of those things matter. I think they make a difference and uh, they do come in handy in, you know, kind of establishing relationships from a business perspective from the Flyers to another organization. 
um, I think that is something that um, we've been able to kind of use and uh, continue to build on and look forward to continuing to build more relationships with some of the guys I didn't know quite, quite as well. I guess uh, we'll kind of transition into the, uh, the more hockey-related questions. Um, obviously, it's been a crazy season, but they always are, so not exactly surprising. Um, we've talked Cutter Gauthier to death at this point, so I don't want to focus in on him, but I do want to focus in on the guy you guys got back for him in Jamie Drysdale. How early in the process, because both you and Danny have been very open with the fact that this didn't happen overnight, but how early in the process did you guys zero in on Jamie as a potential player to target if you had to execute on a Gautier trade? And, and how, like, why did you decide that he was a prime target? Yeah, so I would say early. Um, he was one of our first. Uh, you know, you're looking for, I think we talked earlier even in the um, preseason about how we wanted to build this team and I, I believe I mentioned to you that we wanted to build our back end. Yes. So he was already in the, the back of our minds at that time. Um, the one great thing about the job that I previously had was I was at ice level and did a bunch of Ducks games and I could what I liked most and remembered most about him as a player number one he was skillful uh, right hand shot, all those things that you're looking for. But I loved his passion for the game because you can see it when you're down at that level. Sometimes when you're up high, you're never going to see it. But I'm staring right at him and I'm watching this kid go out and love playing the game. Probably started a little bit too young in a situation in Anaheim at, at that position where it's really difficult. Um, probably could have used a little more time in the minors. So there's, there's things that um, we're going to have to continue to work with Jamie to get him to the point where we believe he's going to be in about four or five years. Um, but there's a lot of positives that were there. So he was definitely someone that came to the forefront right away. And then it was a matter of targeting teams that had, you know, a surplus of young players at that position. And there's not many. So Anaheim was kind of the type of fit. And, you know, then you have the situation of the player that we had as an asset could really say no to anything. Your, your flexibility is very limited. Um, fortunately, in this case, it was a place that he wanted to go. So it, it worked, and we're really excited about having Jamie here. Uh, really look forward to watching him work with Brad Shaw. Um, and talking to Shazi already, he's made mention of the questions that he asks are outstanding. He wants to learn. He wants to get better. And um, he is going to be a very good player for us for a long time at a position of need. So in the end, I think it all works. And I'm just super excited about the player's abilities and his attitude and his character. Um, I think he has all the things that we want in a young flyer that should have many good seasons for us. So I guess that's a perfect jumping off point because you mentioned about the fact that we had a conversation in the offseason and you had mentioned that the blue line core that was what you wanted to build from you wanted to basically have that be the core of a team you mentioned actually carolina saying that that's yeah. that's a team that that you want to kind of not necessarily model but you point to and you say that's what you need to to succeed i guess what i want to what i want to know is you know the defense back when we talked then you made it clear you felt like the flyers defense needed some work to to get to that level i guess drysdale's a big addition you know he definitely fills that out but do you think you guys need more, or is it now more about developing Drysdale, York, Bonk, Yegra Zamola? Like, do you guys now think you have the pieces? Now it's about turning those pieces into the best versions of themselves. Yeah, I'm really excited about the pieces. Um, Hunter McDonald's another piece as well that's at Northeastern and is going to be a beast when he gets here. Like, I, I'm so excited about him as well. Um, just the physical element that he has, the size, the strength, the skating ability. Bonk has had an incredibly good year, uh, you know, just to be on the Canadian World Junior team as an 18-year-old defenseman. Um, very happy that we had a lot of great insight from my former teammate and friend and Dale Hunter on what Bonk projected to be. Um, I think he has 16 points in his last five games. I, I watched his game the other night and I'm really excited about him. You know, that's another young right-handed shooting defenseman that is, you know, when you project him, most likely a very solid defensive defender, but there's offense there too that might be starting to be tapped into from, you know, his, his role with the London Knights. So 
Um, those type of things get me really excited. And when you're not in a position where those guys are, you know, demanding huge contracts, it also gives us the chance to allow them to build in, in a similar way that Carolina did it with their defense as well. So, yeah, there's uh, we do have an eye on the prize in that situation, and we want to continue to build our defense. So do you think, like, I know on our show, you know, we were talking obviously prior to the Drysdale deal that, you know, the Flyers could really use another blue chipper on the back end, that that'll be what solidifies it. Do you not necessarily, I mean, obviously everyone's looking to get more blue chippers. That's the point of, but is it maybe not as much of a necessity now because you feel like you have the pieces, at least from a talent standpoint already? Uh, I, I do think you continue to look. Uh, I do think that there's, um, you know, sometimes opportunities are there that you don't want to pass up on. I, I don't think you can have too many defensemen coming. I do think that um, that's going to be a point of emphasis for us for a while. Um, but it's not necessarily something that comes to the forefront right away. So we have some other areas that we want to continue to build now, including the center ice position. And that's something that we'll look at in the draft. And there's a lot of players in and around the area that we'll be drafting. Um, whether or not we have the second round pick from Columbus next year or not, uh, we're going to have <clears throat> two or three, you know, possibly later round first picks or mid first round picks. And those are going to be important pieces for our future. And there is a lot of sentiment. There's a lot of players in the draft that are, is upcoming that have the potential to be, you know, breakout players, um, not necessarily in the top five. You know, after you get past the top three or four players, there's probably 20 guys that, you know, you could miss if you're picking early and you could get lucky if you're picking later. So we're not overly concerned about where we're sitting and where we might draft this year. Another thing I wanted to talk about, um, the, the Drysdale and the targeting him as the guy in the Cutter Gauthier deal. Uh, Bob Murray was the GM who drafted him in Anaheim back in 2020. He was brought in as a senior advisor this summer. How much of a role did he play in terms of, of you know, vetting Drysdale, convincing the rest of the front office that he was a good fit? Yeah, he, he played a big role in it. Um, having the confidence that we were getting a character player, um, a person that would represent us well, both on and off the ice, was important. Um, also where he projected to be, too, because Bob's very good at uh, mapping out a blue line. Um, I think if you look through his history with Anaheim, there's a lot of young defensemen that came up through his um, program and did an outstanding job and then had big value when they were moved to different teams as, you know, the progression took place. I I've really trust Bob's opinion. Um, I do think that played into this as well. Um, Jeff Jackson, who's the president in Edmonton, used to represent Jamie and um, told me in a conversation totally separate to anything about hockey that he was one of the best clients he ever had. Yeah. Um, and it was just brought up out of the blue. It was kind of funny and that prior to all this happening. Um, so there was a lot of character checks that were done and um, he passed with flying colors. And I, I'm excited for our fans to get to know him as well because he's kind of a quiet kid, but he's um, definitely got a lot of personality and is uh, is going to be a, a big part of our future. And kind of going back to uh, to Bob for a second, there were just so many changes that happened in the organization in the summer that that kind of went a little bit under the radar. I guess what exactly, I know he's senior advisor, yeah. but what exactly is his role and, and how does he fit into the mix and why did you think he was a good person to bring on board? Yeah, I, I would say his role is identifying and finding defensemen all over the world. <laughs> okay. that, that's what his role is. Cool. Um, that's his specific um, you know, job for us. And I don't care where he goes. He can go anywhere he wants. Just find us blue liners like he did for Anaheim, Chicago prior to that. Um, he's been around the game a long time and he's happy. He's in a position where he's enjoying um, life and also enjoying just not having to do everything, you know, that Danny's having to do now. He's got the ability to have the flexibility to go and, you know, every rink around the world and, and see what's out there. And he's been working hard. So there's a uh, a lot of good ideas that he brings to the table, but most importantly, it's his ability to identify players and project where they're going to be from one age to five years down the road, which is a talent that is not for everybody and not everybody has, but Bob Murray definitely has that. I just want to, I know we've talked the Cutter Gauthier thing to death, like Charlie said, but I just want to back up a bit 
to when everything comes out on that Monday. You guys get back from Sweden. The story is breaking. You've now acquired Jamie Drysdale. Cutter Gauthier is gone. He's in Anaheim. Are you surprised by the reaction? Because I'm constantly looking for the differences between this, this new era of Orange and the way things used to be. And I, I gauge a lot of the fan reaction on just what I hear. And people aren't pissed at you guys. Right. They don't think the Flyers screwed this up, which is a departure from the way things have been. Because you were up front with this, the way you got out in front of it and said what happened after it came out, you needed to maintain your leverage, obviously. But since then, everyone seems to just kind of be on board with this. Dude, we just watched win the gold medal at the World Juniors, top forward at the tournament, and everyone's like, yeah, I didn't want to be here. All right. Are you surprised by this reaction? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, you have to be, you want to be honest. And this was a hard one because we were trying to balance this, you know, elephant in our room without it getting out to the public. So... Um, I, I would say I'm happy with the way it's gone so far. It's a, there's a long way to go and, and that, you know, the future of both players and our second round pick in the future, which was a nice, you know, sweetener to have on the other side of that. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I, I, I know the city. I've been around it for a little while. And um, our, our people like honesty. And that's, that's all we did. That was it. Kind of changing gears for a second, um, talking about you know another person who you have strong connections with. One of the popular rumors that's been flying around for the past month or so, basically since he got let go from St. Louis, is that Craig Berube could end up back with the Flyers in some capacity. Obviously, he has long-standing connections with the organization. You guys are buddies. Is that something that, that could be in the cards at some point? I know he's been around here this past week. Yeah, no, he, he's scouting for the Blues. <clears throat> he's not working for us. <laughs> um, no, it's great to see him around, too. But, no, Craig is going to be a head coach again in the National Hockey League. He's got another year left with St. Louis. And, you know, in this business, there's a job that seems to be opening up all the time. It's not going to open up here. Uh, Torts has done an incredible job. Um, but Chief is a, a super good friend of mine. We've been friends since our days in Washington. Um, he is a terrific head coach. That's what he is. And he'll be back coaching again in the National Hockey League, but it's not going to be here. Um, but great to see him around the rink, and I'm happy that um, a guy that likes to stay busy is you know, being given that opportunity by Doug Armstrong in St. Louis to continue to help him out and give a different perspective from upstairs. But. He's scouting for the Blues now, and he's not working for us. I guess that speaks to, though, the quality of person that he is, that you know, the Blues let him go, and yet they're still, you know, they're still on good enough terms that he's willing to scout for them, and they are willing to have him scout for them yeah, as well. Yeah, and that's, that's what Craig is. I mean, for those of us that know him well, we're very fortunate to have a friend like him. He's a very loyal uh, guy, and he's an outstanding hockey guy. He's another one that's fallen from the Dale Hunter tree, um, and there's quite a few out there. Rick Talkins, another one too, who spent time with Huntsy. So there's a, there's a lot there in connection to a love for the game, um, a willingness to do whatever it takes to help their team do and whatever they're asked to do for the team. So all the qualities that you that made him a great flyer have made him a you know a Stanley Cup champion coach and. Uh, Hopefully he stays away from coaching for a little while, doesn't come in and help somebody in the East. <laughs> uh, changing gears and moving more towards the, uh, the team as they are now, you know, a little bit less bigger picture and more on the smaller side. Uh, John Tortorella gave an interview last week with NBC Sports Philadelphia. Uh, really interesting, really insightful interview, so definitely recommend to our, our viewers and listeners to check that out. But one thing that he made clear in that interview was that the team's success this season isn't going to necessarily stop the front office from from making some subtractions at the deadline if that's what the organization deems necessary. I guess speaking to that, this team has very much, I think, in the, the eyes of the hockey world, exceeded expectations. This team has come together. They're playing really good hockey on the whole. Are you worried at all that if the front office does some, you know, let's call it strategic selling, at or around the deadline, that it could send the team into you know a little bit of a tailspin knowing that, you know, the front office isn't buying. They're not even standing pat. They're giving guys away. And this is a team that right now is very much in the playoff mix. I guess, is that a, a concern of yours at all? I, I think we've been clear from the start that uh, we recognize where we are. Um, Danny was clear that it was going to be dictated by the players and how well they performed. 
on whether or not it was sped up or not. Um, the players have performed really well. Um, but I think we've continued to send a clear message, including what Torts had to say the other day, that uh, we're building for the future. We, we are building a team that we want to be a perennial playoff, Stanley Cup contending type team. Uh, we're not there yet. We've continued to compete at a really high level. Um, you play a team like Colorado, and you see when their big boys get going that we've got a little work to do. Um, that's not lost on us. We, we recognize that. So we're going to do what's right for the future of the team. Uh, we're going to stand by that. But at the same time, we're going to recognize that our players have played really well for us and that some guys have exceeded expectations and some guys have us rethinking some things about certain individual players. Um, but big picture wise, we're going to do what's best for us. And there will be offers out there for our players. There already is. And um, there's a lot of interest in some of the players that we have. And that's a credit to the way that the players have performed. How do you balance the so much has been made of the culture of this team. You know, everyone seems to like playing with each other. The locker room has improved from last season, whatever the issues were there. It just seems as if the culture John Tortorella and the entire organization have built has improved. How do you balance? Uh, yeah, but we are still building for the future with, there are guys in that locker room who are going to be here when this team's great again. You take something away from them that's like the boys earned the opportunity to try to make the playoffs this year. How do you balance that? Yeah, that's that's a tough. You're tough balance. You're threading the needle, um, and that's part of this job. And we have to really, um, through discussions and through you know collaboration with a group of people, small group, that um, are all aiming for the same thing. So there's. You know, I might have to be reminded of something. Danny might have to be. Hilf might remind us of something. And torts. <clears throat> so it's kind of um, a nice thing to have when we get along as well as we do as a group. Uh, that's translated to the way our players get along. And that's really been a positive for us. So we will have to balance a few things. There's no doubt about that. But uh, we're going to do the best we can to thread, thread it properly. And, um, you know, come out on the other side in a, in a better situation, maybe not the next day or the day after that or two weeks after that, but down the road where we're consistently talking about a team that's competing for the Stanley Cup. Josie, I feel like right now, and this is just in my conversations with fans, both in real life and, and on social media, it just seems like a lot of fans just, they don't really know what to think about this team because you know they've been told that the flyers are rebuilding they keep hearing that you know the focus is on the future it remains on building the best flyers team you know a few years down the road not just trying to maximize now but you know then they watch the flyers take apart the stars you know a team that is a legitimate stanley cup contender and didn't beat the avalanche but hung pretty close with them outshot them you know outplayed them for a lot of that game and they start to wonder, you know, what if this team is already there? And I guess what I'm asking is, like, do you ever find yourself asking that question that, you know, what if we are better than we think right now? They do catch you. <laughs> they do catch you. There's no doubt. Like, the Dallas game is an example of everything going right. Every player had jumped. Every player made the right play. Every decision made on the ice was outstanding. It was a clinic. Um, that's as good as we can play, and that's as good as any team in the league can play, but that's one game. So having to consistently play that way to beat the powerhouse teams in our league um, is a challenge. So that's something that we really have to look at a big picture, uh, step away from the trees and really dig into it. But these guys give you a lot to think about, which has made them such a likable group. Um, there's different ages on players. There's, there's a lot that goes into the decision-making on where this team heads in the future. But um, couldn't be prouder of the way the guys play. They make you feel good. Like, I think they've made our fans in many ways feel good about watching them. And that's what brings people back. So the foundation is being laid. There's no question about that. The culture is better. And I would put our culture up against any other team in the league. There's no doubt that that's benefited us. And now it's just about continuing to keep an eye on the future and making sure that we make some pretty uh, insightful decisions here over the next couple of years. Jonesy, uh, 
the big picture I'm focused on right now is the big picture on the cover of the Money and Power Hockey News. What world am I living in? That Keith Somebody freaking that Keith day. freaking Jones is on the cover of the Money and Power issue. Yeah. Do you ever just have to take a step back and be like, what world am I living in? I, I've never lived my life like that. <laughs> like it's, I've just kept going. Like sometimes you, if you ever stop, then you might look at it and go, wow, what am I doing here? Maybe I shouldn't be here. But um, I was like that when I played. I was like that when I got into broadcasting. I was not very good when I started in broadcasting and eventually became good enough to get you know, a bunch of jobs. Um, but I've never taken it for granted. And I've always appreciated being around the game. Uh, my friendships in the game are really important to me. And my friendships outside of the game are really important to me. So, um, no, I don't, uh, I don't, I kind of laugh, you know, like it's, this is the real world, but that doesn't seem like it when you see something like that. So, um, no, it's not, uh, it's not something that goes to my head, I can tell you that. <laughs> That's outstanding to hear. We have anything else, Charlie? I think we're good. Okay. Awesome, All right, guys. Good to catch up. Jonesy, we'll uh, see you next week, and I'm pretty sure every week <laughs> after that. Stop it, Billy. Ah, I think we have a monthly. We'll see how it goes. But thank you very much for joining us, Keith. Thanks. And uh, keep up the great work. You too. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Welcome back, PHLY fam. That was <laughs> that was a lot of fun. What is the number one thing, first and foremost, that just stuck out to you? In that you know, 23 or so minutes that we talked to uh, the president of Hockey Ops. Yeah, I think the big takeaway, and there were quite a few, and I, yeah. I want to I oh, get gonna into... We're going to get into them individually. A bunch of them, yeah. To me, the biggest takeaway is the fact that he very much sounded like someone who is still all in on the idea of a long-term rebuild. Uh, the the, big, the th big thing he said that really jumped out at me was him pointing to the Colorado game this weekend and basically saying, I watched that game. We all saw Nathan McKinnon do Nathan McKinnon things, and that was a reminder of the fact that this Flyers team doesn't have that and that we are not going to be done until we have guys who can do that. That's the combination of his, like, talking about the Stars game. Yes. Where he's like, yeah, we were great. That's as well as anyone can play. No one can play like that every, like, yeah. Or, if or, every or the single, Flyers can't no, play that like, way every yeah, night. Like, he's, if every single guy in our team brings their A-plus game, we can do that. Yes. But, like, that doesn't happen for any team any night. We just saw it with Colorado. Like, nobody had their A-plus game except that one guy. And that one guy was able to beat the entire Flyers. And, like I said earlier, almost a moral victory against Colorado. He looked at it differently. Like, oh, yeah, we played great and we lost because we don't have that dude. So it's the focus on the future was very much like when we talked what, last week, I guess, about the idea that they might bring back Nick Sealer. Right. And the conversation I said, like, the one thing is this sounds like a team – that believes its own bullshit. Like, oh yeah, we're wait, we're exceeding expectations. We're good now. They don't think that. At least, and if they do, they're doing a great job of lying about it. Like, they don't believe they are as good as their record, and that the work is anywhere near done in terms of rebuilding. I, I don't know if I would say they don't believe they're as good as their record. I think they believe that the team has earned the record, but I think they also seem to have an understanding that they're not cup contenders. They're not cup that's contenders I mean. yet. Exactly. And that's the key to this whole thing is that they don't, they watched Colorado this weekend and they said to themselves, yeah, that that's a cup contender, a team that can, can be playing its C game against a legitimately solid opponent and still win score seven goals because they have a couple guys that just decide <laughs> yeah. we ain't losing this game. The flyers aren't that. And I thought it was interesting that look, I think flyers fans are, Maybe not all. I'm sure that there are some that are so hyper-focused on the idea of a rebuild that they would say it was a betrayal. But I think Flyers fans right now, especially coming off of Thursday's game, they are excited enough about this team that if Keith Jones came on our show and said, you know what, nah, now nah, we're going for it. We're, we're we're buyers. We're going for the cup. Then a lot of fans would be like, you know what? Hell yeah. I like, don't even like, know. I, that's exactly what I want to hear. And I think the fact that Jonesy went on this show and basically said, no, we are not we are not of the opinion that we are ready to turn the corner here that this is going to this is going to take time and we are still all in on the idea of a long-term plan i thought it was notable because he had the opportunity after the way these last few weeks have gone to say well let me hedge my bets a little bit and he did it and i thought that was interesting no the the clear way he stayed like there was no hedging he very much was like 
Yeah, like I asked, like, isn't that going to hurt the culture, hurt the locker room? Like the guys have earned the right to try to see what they can do. He's like, no, we have to thread a needle. Like, yeah, it might hurt some people, but everyone knows. And the fact that everyone from the beginning, I think like that's a big part is no one came into this year. Everyone's expectations should be, no, it's rebuilding team. Like you've outworked your expectations. Congratulations. We still have to do what's right for us long-term because it's not about making the playoffs this year. That'll be nice. We we want to win a cup like before we get to year 60 without one. Yeah. And I think, too, one point that he made in the interview, which I thought was interesting, and he obviously can't go into details about which specific players he's talking about, but he basically said that, look, the players, we've always said the players will dictate how long this rebuild is. And the way that they've played may have changed our opinions about certain players. And that doesn't even necessarily have to mean, man, I thought that Nick Sealer was a number seven. Now I think he's a third pair guy. I think it may also speak to which guys fit the timeline. Like perfect example being Travis Konechny. If the Flyers went out there this year and were a bottom three team in the league, Maybe the Flyers front office looks at it and says, we can't resign we Travis Konechny. We have yeah. to trade him. And when the team goes out there and plays as well as they've been playing, where maybe the timeline for the rebuild isn't five years down there, or maybe it's two or three, suddenly Travis Konechny, by virtue of his strong play and by virtue of the strong play of the team, has now made it so he could be part of this. He could be brought back. You can justify resigning him. And I think that's more what Jonesy was referring to, not necessarily that, you know, we've changed our opinion entirely on certain players. It's more that we've changed our opinion about which guys can fit. And it doesn't mean that we're not rebuilding, but it does mean that maybe some guys who we thought didn't fit the timeline might now fit the timeline because the timeline might not be as long as we thought it was. And uh, a big part of that timeline is reshaping the defense. And it was funny before the interview, you and I talked about a conversation you had with Jonesy and how they want to build from the back forward. Right. And he actually is the one who brought up that conversation when yep. we talked about it. And you said, like, is it now more about developing the pieces you have than, like, acquiring the pieces? Right. And we've all kind of, I guess, in the first half of the season prior to the Gauthier trade, we're like, okay, I guess if, you know, the fifth best player on their board is the first defenseman, maybe they shouldn't go defenseman with that pick. But... If it's a tiebreaker, they're going defense. And it looks like maybe they are pivoting a bit. I I think that was the other really big takeaway I got from this interview. And it was something I came into this interview when I was coming up with the questions that I wanted to run through. That was the big one was, okay, now we are in the post Jamie Drysdale trade. Because I'm not even going to call it the Cutter Gautier trade. I'm going to call it the Jamie Drysdale trade. We are in the post Jamie Drysdale trade era of the Flyers. What does that mean for their evaluation of the defense? Because now you have you have Travis Sanheim locked up to a long-term deal. He's not going anywhere. You have Jamie Drysdale, who's young and they believe can be a core piece. They have Cam York, who's young and still developing. They have Rasmus Alainen signed to a long-term deal. They have Oliver Bonk coming. They have Igor Zamola showing signs. Like They have pieces now where you could look at it and you could theoretically say, if you wanted to, that... We might have the pieces. Now we just need Jamie Drysdale to hit his ceiling. We need to get Cam York fully developed. We need to get Zamula fully developed. We need to get Bonk here. It might not necessarily be anymore that we need to go out and get that number one because we might already have the pieces we need. So I wanted to push him on that. I wanted to know if that was his evaluation. And he left himself open enough where, you know, no, we could still go out and get more guys. But I do think that he hinted that there has been a bit of a pivot. The the quotes that jumped out at me were, I do think you continue to look, but it's not necessarily something that comes to the forefront right away. And I thought it was very interesting that even without me asking, because I was considering this being a follow-up and didn't even have to ask it because he brought it up on his own, was the pivot towards maybe center is now the position that they're focusing on. That now, yes, they're still going to look to add defensemen. It's not like they might. They have two first-round picks. They might end up having three by the time we get to the draft. It's not like they're not going to draft a defenseman. But 
now the tiebreaker might be we want centers because that is the organizational weak point. Defense is not necessarily the organizational weak point anymore, even accounting just for guys that have top four potential. Now center might be the spot. And honestly, I agree with that pivot. I think center is now the spot that they need to look to fill. They need to look for guys with top six, ideally top line center ceilings. Yeah, absolutely. And I even... Even a little thing he mentioned about the defenseman uh, kind of really put the light on the future. And he was talking about Jamie Drysdale, the idea of like bringing these guys along. He said, you know, maybe he could have spent another year in the minors and we're going to have to really work with him on where we want him to be four or five years from now. Yeah. And that was just another, hey, we're not, it, it isn't about right now. Uh, just another little reminder that he's going to be good along the way. He's already shown he's a hell of a player. I mean, the dude had a 30-plus point season at 19 years old. He's really good. But it's about where we're taking this thing, not where we are now. And the idea that they're going to transition a little bit off of defense, especially with maybe their premier picks, leads to something I found real interesting that you brought up. Bob Murray. Yeah. Uh, and his role in the organization is... Go around the world and find us some defensemen, <laughs> which I found really interesting. Like, all right, we have the pieces we think we like, which is what he said. Let's find uh, now you go and do that thing where we maybe find that gem. Yeah, you, know, you go to Sweden, you go to Russia, wherever it might be. Go around the world and find us that. Maybe guy. not Russia right now, but, but not. <laughs> just say scout some Russians. <laughs> maybe when they're somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. You know, international play or something. But like, you go find us that, and I found that very interesting too. I I did the the Bob Murray thing was something I wanted to touch on because the connection here is that he's the guy who drafted Jamie Drysdale. Like that was his pick. And now Bob Murray was brought on as a senior advisor this summer. There were so many changes that happened this summer to the front office that basically it was hard to focus in on the Murray thing because there were so many other bigger moves. But given the Drysdale connection with Murray, I wanted to talk that through. I wanted that to be like, let's hear about his impact. But I think the the interesting part about his answer was that he does have a specific role. He's not just guy in the room to pipe in and be like, I've been a GM for 20 years and this is what I think. It's, no, your role is find us defensemen. And I thought, look, this is a guy who, it was interesting that Jonesy said about, about Murray in that Murray doesn't necessarily want to be a GM anymore, that he wants to kind of to, to ease back. The reason why he lost his job as Anaheim general manager was there were some allegations of verbal abuse. And essentially what came out is that uh, Bob Murray had a substance abuse problem, an alcohol abuse problem. Yeah. It would not shock me at all if this is a case of, okay, you know, he's he's sober now. He is, you know, dealt with his issues. And now he doesn't necessarily want to be in a a job like the general manager job where it's a high pressure job it is job. an extremely stressful job where you are pretty much working every waking moment of your life. Instead, he can work on the personal side of his life and work on his, something like sobriety, which is a very, very serious thing while kind of making his own schedule and still providing some value to an organization. I would hope he can do that. And in the past, he has done that. When he was the general manager of the Anaheim Ducks, and this was a really interesting thing I looked into when I was digging back through his history. There was a stretch from 2010 through 2014 when he was the general manager of the Ducks where over a five-year year stretch, they drafted, and I will go through the defenseman here, they drafted Cam Fowler, Josh Manson, Hampus Lindholm, Jay Theodore, Brandon Montour. That is one top four quality defenseman every single year on a, in a five-year span. Maybe he does know something <laughs> about defense. Maybe this is just his thing. And maybe it's just his thing. And maybe he is someone who can help them to, you know, and we talked about this in between the shows we've done today, where even if they're not going to be spending their top pick every year on a defenseman, maybe he can help them find the third round pick defenseman who can be a top four guy. And if that's value he can bring to the organization, then he's certainly earning whatever they're paying him to be a senior advisor. We ran through it earlier this, or I guess last week, like, Yes, you need those top-end guys. They're all hugely important. Also, every cup winner the last couple of years, they have something in common, diamonds in the rough. And maybe if that's something they're able to find, 
that would be a huge help for the Flyers. Uh, got to take a quick second here to tell you about Rocket Money. Uh, I may have got some of the reads order wrong, so we're just going to get these out <laughs> of the way here. Uh, thank you very much to Brenna. Uh, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with just a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to refund you for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Told you a bunch of times, I found out a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I both had Apple TV. It was like, well, we watch television together. <laughs> I don't think we need two subscriptions here. And just, you, okay, well, that's a couple of bucks. What does that really matter? That's Rocket Money saves an average of $720 a year for users. It it's freaking adds up, man. It adds up. And especially if you're not monitoring it, that's where Rocket Money comes in so handy. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash PHLY. That's rocketmoney.com slash PHLY. Rocketmoney.com slash PHLY. Yeah, and one other thing I want to talk through because I saw this pop up in the comment section about the idea of no, you should always go best player available no matter what in the draft. Never prioritize a position. Fair. However, number one, a lot of times when you're looking at draft prospects, you're talking about tiers. And I think there's, an, there's a situation where you could say, you know, tie goes to a positional need. That's fair. Number two, and this is the more important thing. When we're talking about prioritizing center over defensemen, we're not just talking about the draft. We're talking about free agency. We're talking about, hey, maybe turn one of those first-round picks into a center who's already in the NHL. That'd like, be nice. Rather than burn that first-round pick trading for a number-one defenseman, now maybe that number-one defenseman might already be here, whether it's Drysdale, whether it's Bonk, I don't know. He might already be here. So maybe if you're going to make a big trade involving first-round picks, maybe look to make that trade for a center rather than a defenseman. That, to me, is the big important part about an organizational pivot it's not about who you're going to use every single first round pick on for the next three years. It's more about what is your, when, when they go into internal meetings, what is the position where they all agree? We need more of that. And we need to find ways to get that to me. Center has now surpassed defensemen on the priority list. And it was good, at least from my perspective to hear Jonesy agree with that and imply that yes, well, we will continue to target defensemen. We're not going to let the defenseman pipeline go dry. Center appears to now be the top priority, specifically getting guys who could plausibly be a number one center for the next five, six, seven, eight years to come. I mean, it makes whether Gauthier was going to be a center or not, they needed centers when he was in the pipeline. Yes, now they really do. Like, they have no centers right now. If it wasn't for the fact that they, they don't have any, Morgan Frost probably wouldn't still be here. Now he's turning it up a level and playing really well but like we could all have seen this go in a different way if there was actually someone to take his spot yeah, this wrong. summer like they brought in ryan paling yes ryan paling does a lot of things for you but like he's not that great yeah <laughs> they've had him playing top nine minutes at different points this year at one point he was their second center when they had some guys out they need center depth very badly agreed the last thing i want to talk through because we're coming up on the end of the show hope you've enjoyed the interview and our breakdown of it Something that has been in the comment section and on social media basically for the last month and a half. I wanted to get <laughs> Keith Jones on the record about this because if we didn't get him on the record about it, it would he, continue. It was just continue and people would just continue to theorize forever. Now, I guess you I'm could, a little bummed that I can't theorize. Anymore. I guess you could theoretically just believe he's lying because, you know, that that is part of the way that it works in hockey. You're not going to say, no, we are going to poach a guy that's still under contract with St. Louis. And that is our plan. They're not going to reveal that to us. However, I will say that Keith Jones was pretty forceful in saying that there is not a secret plan to kick torts upstairs at the end of the season and replace him with Craig Bruby. Yeah. He he was as, as adamant about that as one could possibly be, I would say. Yeah, I, I thought that was funny. And it is interesting. Like you hear sometimes because these dudes are under contract. It's like when you hear relieved of his duties as head coach, it's like, yeah, you're we're not like 
We'd have to give you all your yeah, money you're right still now. Getting paid. You're still getting paid. Your paychecks still hit your bank account, you know, like twice a month or whatever it is. Uh, you're just going to go do some scouting for us and someone else is going to be the coach. You hear that sometimes and they think highly enough of Baruby and he's a, a dude who's like, yeah, I'll do that. Like he, he wants to put in the work. So right. I, I found that interesting, but yeah, he's not going to be the coach. Maybe. <laughs> no, it's it's he seemed to put to rest that conversation. He was definitely throwing cold water on the idea that because there had been some speculation that, well, maybe the plan is is for Torts to stop being the head coach and go upstairs and then we bring in Baruby because he's the perfect guy. It seemed like Jones wanted to make it clear that we're very happy with John Tortorella. John Tortorella is our coach. This is not something that we are going to expedite just because Craig Ruby is available. That most likely by the time that John Tortorella is potentially ready to move on from being a head coach and maybe move into a more of an more of an advisory role, by then we expect that Craig Ruby will be hired by another team to be their head coach. Uh, just one more thing that really stuck out to me: the uh, when you were mentioning the defensive pieces, mm -hmm. whether it's who they have in the NHL or Oliver Bonk obviously having the huge season for the London Knights. Jonesy made sure to mention Hunter McDonald. They really like this kid, huh? Uh, Northeastern, he was a sixth rounder in 2022. He's 6'4", 205, so maybe he's a little bit of that badass. I think they still really very much need, uh, especially in a top four role. Do you know anything about this guy other than... Like what we kind of know. Yeah, like he's he's a guy who's been talked about. Chuck Fletcher was very high on him as well. He mentioned him a couple times, even after I believe he was fired. He mentioned him a couple times about, you know, we really like this Hunter McDonald guy. And I've heard people in the organization tell me off the record, don't sleep on Hunter McDonald. The thing with Hunter McDonald is that he isn't, I don't think he's ever going to be an offense guy. I think he's always going to be a I think he has puck moving ability, but he's never going to be a point producer. He's always going to be a guy who is kind of in the role that Risto's in right now. And I do wonder if there might be a little bit thought in their in their heads because they are very high on Hunter McDonald. They see a, a big defenseman who can skate, who can hit, and who can really lock it down in his own zone. I almost wonder if there's an idea in their heads of, you know, maybe he is the successor to Ristolainen because Jonesy has made it very clear, and I think the Flyers have made it very clear that they still believe that a defense core needs to have size. It needs that physicality. And that's why I don't think they are going to move Ristolainen unless they have someone who they could move into that role of he's the guy who brings he he brings the the physicality. He brings the thunder and maybe they're looking at Hunter McDonald as the guy who, you know, maybe in a few years, if he comes up and he's ready and he turns pro that he could make someone like Ristolainen expendable. And we could bring in a guy who can do what Ristolainen does, but for a lot cheaper. That's kind of where I suspect they're looking at Hunter McDonald and seeing him fitting into the long-term plan. It's exciting to think of, this team actually having a plan really more than <laughs> not like more than anything. I've just been begging them to tell me you have a plan right. and it seems as if they do. And it's, it's one that's like based in logic and reason seems like, like it. And it's not even an emotional, relatively like, speaking. Yeah. I am kind of excited about this season and what they're going to do. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. But relax. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's nice to hear that the people running the team might be smarter than like a lot of the fans and I think we got and, that and us possibly. Yeah. yeah Just well. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> maybe not you, but definitely me. All right. Uh, this has been PHLY Flyers presented by Mortgage CS. Check out mortgagecs.com slash PHLY today. Listen, man, I've been telling you about Mortgage CS for, for weeks now. Mortgage CS, what does it stand for? Concierge service. What does that mean? It means they are obsessed with providing the absolute best or best customer service for everyone that hits them up. You can call that number right there. Talk to Ben anytime, day or night, about your mortgage rate, about Philly sports, whatever it is you want. They're an independent mortgage broker based right here in Philadelphia. And what does that mean? It means they are here to help their clients obtain ultra-competitive rates. We all know if you're anywhere near the uh, housing market right now, 
you might have an idea that things aren't going great if you're a buyer. Well, if maybe you want to wait for the to jump in. Maybe you're in a situation where it's like, yeah, man, I need somewhere to live. So I'm buying a house. Whatever your situation is, Ben and his team will help you get the absolute best rate by comparing rates between multiple lenders to find a deal that makes the most sense for you. The top priority is your financial big picture not mortgage CS's bottom line. And that's huge because they know even if they short themselves a little bit now, it will grow their business so much later that it's worth it. It's uh, it's what they're all about. That white glove concierge service service. That's what mortgage CS is. When you hear the word mortgage, think of mortgage CS, think of Ben and his partner, Alec save Ben's telephone number right now. If you don't see it on the screen, you're listening on pod. It's two, six, seven, three, nine, one, seven, four, two, five, save it to your phone. You can also email Ben at Ben at mortgage CS.com. Call or text him anytime day or night and make sure you check out mortgage CS.com slash PHLY to get started. This advertisement is not a commitment to lend or extend credit. Mortgage CS is an equal housing opportunity mortgage broker. All loans are subject to credit approval. Certain restrictions may apply. Company NMLS ID number 1464766. Visit MortgageCS.com for more information. All right, that's uh, that's pretty much it, Charlie. I yeah. think that is the show for today. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, post-game it's a home game, right? They're still home, yeah, so you'll home be stand. down at the Farg, and sure I will, will be right here. JP will be joining me, so make sure you tune in for that. That's it for us. My name is Bill Matz for Charlie O'Connor. Happy birthday, Ava. We're all silly like the mayor. 